Oh, yeah, follow that up. That would be fun. If you would, turn to Judges chapter 15. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I, I will be honest, Brian. When I heard the first few notes of that song, I knew what it was. And I was like, I, I, I'm not always a fan of redeemed songs. And, but wow. <laughs> what a message. What a message. We don't, <laughs> we don't deserve grace. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Not so much what happened because of it, but, but wow. All right, Judges chapter 15. We have been looking at Samson uh, these last few weeks, and specifically what we're looking at with Samson uh, and what we want to learn from him uh, these, over these next few weeks and, and the few weeks that we've already gone through him. Man, my brain is all kinds of everywhere right now. Okay, let's resettle. Um, but, uh, what we want to learn from him, what we want to see is what does it look like? What does it look like when a Christian, when a believer is unhealthy? And my prayer is, is that as we go through the life of Samson and as we look at his shortcomings, as we look at the things where he doesn't live up to his calling, that something would pierce our hearts Something would pierce our hearts and we would identify with him. That God would convict us in our own lives about things that are there. That are holding us back or are leading us astray. And we would be quick to confess them. We would be quick to identify them and say, Lord, I see this thing in my life. I see this thing that is holding me back. I see this thing that is causing me to stumble. It's, it's keeping me from the grand plan that you have called me to. And I, I repent of it. I turn away from it. I don't want any part of it. I want you. That we wouldn't just look at the story of Samson and say, man, it's too bad. That we wouldn't look at the story of Samson and say, yeah, but look at all the great things he did. But that we would look at the story of Samson and say, I don't want to be like that. I want to have a life that's full. I want to have a life that allows me to accomplish that which God has set forth. I want to have a life where I know him intimately, where I'm walking with the Lord. Because that's where joy is. That's where my best life is. To steal and redeem someone else's thing. It's with him. Not that it's always an easy walk. Not that it's always going to give you everything that you think you should have. But it's going to give you what God knows is best for you. And so I pray that that's what God is doing in your heart. It's certainly what he's doing in my heart as we've gone through Samson. As I have had to wrestle with some things. Had to identify some things in my life that are a little bit too close to what Samson is. And the dangers that are there. So hopefully you found Judges chapter 15. We are going to read the whole chapter. Um, so if you would stand uh, as we read God's word this morning. It's not a long chapter. Um, but uh, we will do that together this morning. Judges chapter 15. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. 
So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow and went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Then the Philistines came up and encamped at Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And, and the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson and to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and, when it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw, the, threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramith Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord, and he, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split opened the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it, and he drank. His spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called en Hakor, and it is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, your word is a precious thing. Lord, every word of it is yours. Every word of it is an instruction to us, a reminder of your grace towards us that you do not simply that you do not simply leave us alone, but rather you desire to be intimately involved in our lives, that you desire to be part of it. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would take your word, Lord, that you would open it up to us, that you would open our spirits up to it, Lord, that we would not only hear it, but that we would begin to allow it to pierce our hearts and to infiltrate every part of our being. Father, we pray that we would go out different than we came in. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It's an interesting story that we have here retold to us. But before we get too far into chapter 15, I want to recap 
what we've seen so far. Because um, we've covered a little bit of ground in Samson, and uh, some of you uh, may have missed parts of it, and others of you may just need a reminder. If you're like me, sometimes I need to go through a th- uh, things a couple times before I kind of catch on to it. And so what we've seen so far, in chapter 13, we had Samson's birth. We had it proclaimed. Okay, And so you have an angel come to uh, Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, and he tells them that Samson is going to be a Nazarite. In other words, he is going to be set apart for a special purpose um, for God. And that is unusual because in all of Scripture, we really only have three places at the tops where a Nazarite has been named from birth. Normally, it was a volunteer thing that you did as an adult. But we have Samson here. We have John the Baptist in the New Testament who was set apart from birth. And then you can make an argument, and, and many have, that Samson, or Samuel, um, Samuel is also dedicated, but the word Nazarite's not used there, so it's, we don't always associate him with the other two. So you have this announcement made to this couple. They are in shock. And part of that announcement is that Samson would be the beginning of God's deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines are this big, powerful people. They're the first to use iron um, in some of their weapons. They are the first to use certain battle formations. They know the sea well. They are in number. They're artistic. They're smart. These, These are a force to be reckoned with. And they have come and invaded the land kind of on the border of Israel, and they have put Israel under some oppression. But Israel has not fought back. Israel has rolled over like a dog on its back and said, enough. We'll we'll just assimilate. We'll, We'll begin to look like you, begin to act like you. We won't follow God and God alone. We're just gonna gonna go along with the flow. And what is happening as they do that is that they are looking more and more like the world and less and less like the distinct people that God had called them to be. And so even though they don't ask for it, even though they don't repent of the sin that they've done, God sends Samson to begin the process of salvation and the process of deliverance. And the fact that he is just the beginning, I will remind you, points us to King David who would be a better man and would deliver them from the Philistines once and for all. But also it points us to Jesus Christ, who was able to free us from the ultimate bondage, from our true problem, which is sin. And that was the true problem of Israel as well. They were in a cycle of seeding to their flesh in such a way that They continually walked away from God over and over again. So we have the birth. And then we get to chapter 14. And chapter 14 really lays the foundation. It starts the ball rolling on what's going to happen in Samson's life all the way through 16. In chapter 14, Samson meets a girl. He meets a girl that he wants to marry, and he kills a lion. Now I'm going to start with the killing of the lion, okay? Samson is actually on his way to visit this girl and to get married, and a lion comes at him and attacks him, and it says there that Samson took his bare hands and tore him, or tore the lion like a person would tear a young goat, 
Now, this is where I'm supposed to remind you that the Gatsons don't raise goats because goats are evil. Um, and sheep are good. And there's a theology behind that that we'll have to get into another day. But <clears throat> they are different, and I'm, I need to point that out. Okay, But apparently, it was a commonplace thing for people to tear young goats. Why, I don't know. The point is, is that it was easy for Samson to defeat this lion. And that in itself was not a bad thing. The problem was is that Samson went back later when the carcass was, was lying and rotting there and against the vow that he had made. Remember, he's a Nazarite. And part of being a Nazarite, we see in number six, is that you're not supposed to touch dead things. But Samson reaches into this dead lion and takes out honey and eats from that dead lion the honey that was there. And he even leads astray his parents to eat the same thing. It's kind of a weird story. But it's impressive that he can kill a lion. But we see him disobeying already. All right, I told you that he also met a girl. Samson is in the town of the Philistines, which you'll notice that he goes to the town of the Philistines a lot. It's like us going to St. Louis, apparently. There was more happening there. I don't know. So he goes there, and he sees this girl, and he decides he likes her, and he tells his parents, I want to marry her. And she and they try to talk him out of it, but he just won't have any of it. And so they set all of this up. They set him to get married. And in the process of the marriage feast, which is this huge drinking party that goes on for a week, yet again violating his vow that was on him as a Nazarite that he shouldn't drink alcohol, okay? He's at this feast. He gets kind of prideful, and he decides to put a riddle to these guys, okay? There's 30 guys there. They're supposedly his companions, and he makes a wager with them. And the wager is that if they can figure out the riddle that he gives them by the end of the week, that he will give each one of them a, a set, a change of clothes. And at this time, that would have been a very expensive wager. The return is if they can't figure it out by the end of the week, that each one of them will give him a set. And so this is, there's some cost here, okay? There's a significant amount of cost here. The young men accept the wager, thinking that they have the re a few days to figure it out. They can't figure it out. So they pressure the young woman who Samson is marrying into finding out the information for them. She does so, turns around, tells them the answer. They get it right, and Samson immediately knows that he has been betrayed by his wife. And so in rage, he goes down about 20 miles south, and he kills 30 guys, takes their clothes, and uses that to pay off the debt, pay off the wager. And at the end of chapter 14, we see, God, we see it recorded that he walks away from all of it in hot anger. And that's where our story of 15 picks up. Okay, 15 is going to be all about revenge after revenge after revenge. But it started, it started with something pretty small. It started with breaking his vow and going back to a lion that was dead, and touching something that was dead. And that seems pretty small to us, doesn't it? But this is what sin does. It starts with something small. It starts with something pretty benign that we think, oh, it's not that big a deal. But it grows from there into the next thing and into the next thing and to the next thing. And what we're going to see is the continuing growth of just that in chapter 15. All right, so let's pick up our story in 15. We're going to kind of go through this a little slower, a little more carefully. In verse 1, we see Samson go back for his wife. Okay, Apparently some time passed, and Samson comes to 
the realization that, wait a minute, I'm married. That means I should go visit my wife. Okay, congratulations, young friend. You have figured something out. So Samson takes a young goat, which, by the way, this must have been the Israelite form of candies and flour, okay? Because there's other places in Scripture that I could point you to where men take young goats to women as some sort of like, hey, I want to marry you. It's odd. I don't understand it, okay? But he takes this young goat, and he shows up at his wife's family home, and he knocks on the door and is like, I want to see her. And her dad comes to the door and is like, uh, you're back. And so he says, look, here's what happened. And in verse 2 he says, I truly thought, I really thought you hated her. But that, that phrase there, when we break it apart, we look at its meaning, what he's really saying there is, I thought you divorced her. You walked away in hot anger. You haven't come back for some time, apparently. And I thought you divorced her. I thought you were done with her. So rather than her be basically a widow, which was the worst thing that could happen to a young lady at this time, I'm, I let her marry your, your companion. That's what every young guy wants to hear, by the way. You left on a trip while you were gone. Your wife got married to your friend. Great news. All right? So that's the message that Samson is given in verses 1 and 2. Well, Samson's response, as you can imagine, if you have read chapter 14, is not the greatest. He is upset. And so he says in verse 3, he says at the end of verse 3, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. He says there at the end of verse 3, he says, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines, and I will do them harm. That word harm there doesn't mean like just going up and slapping them on the cheek. He is making a serious, serious threat. And so what's he do? Well, he goes out and he catches what, what most of your translations say are 300 foxes. Most, most scholars looking at this area, looking at this time period, it probably would have been more like a jackal. Okay, Think coyote, not red fox. All right. So he goes out and he catches 300 of these things. He, tie, he pairs them up, ties their tails together, and then sets a torch on fire and then lets them go. PETA would have been, like, so angry at this point, all right? But he's, he lets them go into the fields, and they burn everything. They burn everything. Not only do they burn the standing grain, the stuff that, haven't, that hasn't been harvested yet, he, they also burn what has been harvested, and then they get into the orchards and they burn the olive oil. Here's the thing. They didn't just burn the grain. The grain was the sustenance. The grain was the basic. Okay? They didn't just burn the basics of life. They burned the extravagance of life. They burned the money when they burned the olive orchards. Okay? He didn't just harm this family. He harmed everyone in this area when he burned everything to the ground. This was a big deal. Is it okay to be upset that your wife got married to your friend? I think we can probably say upset is an acceptable emotion. Is this a drastic overreaction to what happened? Yes. Okay? This is a drastic overreaction. But Samson, remember, says, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. Well, the Philistines don't see it that way, as you can imagine. In verse 6, we see their brutality. 
In verse 6, they ask who has done this, and they begin to question what has happened. And they say, well, it was Samson. And the Philistines, instead of taking it out on Samson, they take it out on this family. And why they do that, we don't know. We don't know if they were scared of Samson or they just couldn't find him in that moment. Or maybe they thought that maybe he had a legitimate beef. I don't know. But they take this poor family and, and they, they execute them in a, in a drastic way. And Samson hears of this. Samson hears of this and once again pledges revenge. You see a theme here? You harm me, I harm you. You harm me, I harm you. Both sides think they're right. He says, if this is what you will do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And then after that, I'll quit. Isn't that the way sin goes to? We talked earlier about how sin starts with something small and then it just continues to grow and takes us farther than we want to go. But isn't it the same way that we all often say about sin? Uh, I'll do this and then I'll quit. I'll do this thing and then I'll stop. It doesn't work that way. And certainly it doesn't work that way in relationships. Like, oh, I'll, I'll do vengeance or I'll get revenge on them or I'll do this against them and then it'll be over. Yeah, that, that works. And it doesn't work here for Samson either. It says, after this, I'll quit. We all know that's not the what's going to happen here. So Samson goes and he says, it says that he strikes them hip and thigh. And if you know what that means, I would love to hear you come talk to me about it. But he strikes them hip and thigh. In other words, he beats them up. And then he flees. He isolates himself. He runs away to this cave. Well, he can't hide there long. The Philistines, at this point, are upset. And so the Philistines make a raid on Judah. It's there in verse 9. It says they came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. Okay, remember before this, before this, the Philistines and the Israelites, the people of Judah, had been at relative peace. Yeah, the Philistines had kind of been in control and they had kind of lorded over. But remember, the Israelites were like, do whatever you want to do. We're going to, we're okay, we're fine. Don't worry about us. But now the Philistines have had it. And Samson has created this humongous blood feud, basically. And so they come up and they make a raid on this little area of Judah. And Judah's like, what is going on? Why are you doing this? These guys are chickens. These guys have no backbone. They look and they're like, why are you doing this? We don't understand why you are here. And the Philistines respond and say, look, we're here to to get Samson. The reason we've attacked you is because one of your kinsmen has attacked us and we are here to capture him and to take him back and for him to face justice in our area. And what does Judah say? Okay, you can have him. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know about you, but when Lisa and I were little, and even now, I teased Lisa nonstop and she punched me back. Okay, and that was the relationship and we loved one another, but it was just it was a brother and sister relationship like that. However, if someone were to come up to me and say, your sister has done this and I'm here to get vengeance. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to walk to Lisa's room and push her out and say, you deal with this. It was going to be like, yeah, we're going to need to talk you and me first. Not that I was big enough to really intimidate someone, but, you know. You at least got to stay in the ground, okay? 
And Lisa would have done the same for me. Someone comes and says something that I did something and that they're there to make vengeance. And Lisa's response probably would have been something along the line of, I'm sure he did, but I'm still not going to let you go through me. Okay? She would totally would have admitted that I probably did wrong. But she would have stood her ground. But not Judah. No, not the people of Judah. The people of Judah are confronted with this. And they're like, forget it. You can have him. And I love this. They don't go down. It's not like they send an emissary. Like they don't send like a couple of guys to go tell Samson, hey, you need to come with us. No. How many people do they send? They send 3,000 men to go get Samson. You don't think they didn't know what was going on? They send 3,000 men there in verse 11 down to where he was staying. They said, do you know what has come about because of what you have done? And what is Samson's response? I only did to them what they did to me. I only did to them what they did to me. Well, eventually they talk him into letting them bind him. And so they take him back to the Philistines. And the Philistines get excited because they've won, they think. And in that moment, God empowers Samson to defend himself. And the coils, the ropes break off of him like they're nothing. He reaches, finds another dead animal. Once again, violating the vow. Finds another dead animal. And this is the thing that gets me. And if you have little kids, I'm sorry. But this just, it, it, the picture just sticks with me. It's a fresh jawbone. He has to dig in a carcass. This isn't like you looked over and saw a bone that was dry and brittle and was like, oh, that'll be a good weapon. No, this was a dead donkey. And he reaches into this thing and jerks it out. Let that stick with you for a moment. He knew what he was doing. So he grabs this bone and he defeats all these guys. And then he does what any good conqueror does. He comes up with a poem. It doesn't really rhyme in our language, but trust me, in the Hebrew, it sounds a lot more impressive. Okay? So he says this poem, and then he does like the ultimate mic drop. Like now we talk about, you know, like you say something and you drop the mic and you walk off, and like that's the ultimate way to walk away. He does that with the jawbone. Like he says his poem, he does his speech. It's all about him, all about what he has done. And then he drops the bone and like walks away. Like, I have nothing more to say. I am the man. But the chapter doesn't end there. The chapter ends on a very unusual picture. The chapter ends with Samson dying of thirst. Okay, this dude has killed a lion, killed 30 men, caught 300 jackals, tied them together. Think about how hard that is. Like, that's not an easy thing. Think, okay? Tied 300 jackals together. Then he went back and beat the snot out of every guy in this town. Then he defeated 1,000 more Philistines. The Jews are so scared of him that they sent 3,000 men. And what's going to take him down? A glass of water. He's dying of thirst. And for one of only two times in the entire story, Samson prays. And he says, God, did you give me all this power to kill me from thirst? And God, in his grace, breaks open this rock and allows water to come forth. And that's where our story pauses. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting story of a guy who loves himself. Samson, remember, in chapter 13, Samson is 
supposed to be a savior. He is supposed to be the one that breaks the bonds of the Philistines. And yet, what do we see him doing here? We see him in some petty skirmishes for the most part. We see him enacting personal revenge. Now, it's of the Lord. This is not a surprise to God. This is not against his will, against his purposes. But I can't imagine that this is what Samson had in mind when he grew up hearing the stories of the angel that had come to predict it. It doesn't excuse the fact that his life is full of sin, full of disobedience. There are consequences for that, and he's living those consequences out right before us. But what we see most of all is a man that is consumed with himself. When we looked at 1 John, one of the things that we talked about was that we need to love the Lord more than we love the world. And if we don't, that it is a sign of sickness inside of us. And Samson exhibits that better than most. So, three things that we see here that happen, that are signs of this sickness. First, self-love caused Samson and causes us to be impulsive. Causes us to be impulsive. Samson is impulsive throughout this story. Samson just does things because he wants to do them. He sees this girl at the beginning of 14. He doesn't even, we don't even have a record of him talking to her. He just sees her and goes back to mom and dad and says, I want to marry her. I'm all for first love, okay, on, on love on first sight, okay, great. You should probably at least say hello, all right, just saying. He acts on impulse. Then we see him on impulse make a wager, and it's a dumb wager, but he makes it anyway. We see him, when he loses that wager, make an impulsive move by going down and killing these 30 guys. We see him make an impulsive move that when he gets bad news, he lights the grain and the olives on fire. We see him, by impulse, go back and beat up these guys in this town. It's all impulse. It's never thought out. It is all from the heart. And we as a culture hear that and we go, well, follow your heart. That's what we get told all the time. But what does the word tell us about the heart? It tells us that it is evil. It tells us that it is deceitful. That it will lead us astray. We've all been impulsive. How many times have you been in a heated conversation, maybe with a friend or a spouse or with a coworker? And words have crossed your lip, and as soon as they cross over your lips, what's your reaction? Oh, I want that back. Oh, I want that back. How many times have you done something? How many times have you done something on impulse? Maybe it's something small, like you were in a store, and you saw something, and you wanted it, and so you just bought it. And then you get back to the house, and you're like, what was I thinking? Usually after a reminder from your spouse, what were you thinking? Not that Melissa would ever do that. But we buy on impulse. Or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe in the heat of the moment, in the heat of an argument, we walk away from something much bigger. We walk away from a marriage. We walk away from a relationship. 
And then we can never go back because of our own pride. We've broken it. When we begin to be so self-absorbed, when we begin to look inward for everything, we become impulsive. And it leads us farther and farther away from what is best for us, which is the Lord. Second, it causes us, and it caused Samson certainly, to be defensive. It causes us, and it caused Samson to be defensive. Samson makes several statements here. The first statement he makes is that, in this, I'm innocent. Do you see that there at the beginning of the chapter? After, right before he gets ready to light all the grain on fire, he says, in this, I'm innocent. He doesn't take any, any of his own uh, acknowledgement to say, you know what, I walked away in hot anger. I made the wager in the first place. I shouldn't have been here when I was. No, he says, in this, I'm innocent. This great overreaction and all of it, it's not on me. Later, when Judah comes to him and Judah says, what have you done that the Philistines are attacking us? He says what? He says, I have only done to them what they've done to me. Once again, he's like, hey, it wasn't my fault. Wasn't on me. And we see this throughout Scripture, don't we? We see it even all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve do something dumb. They eat fruit that they're not supposed to eat of. God confronts them on it. And they say, and Adam says, wasn't me. You're the one that gave me this girl. It's her fault. And in implication, it's your fault. Eve goes, "Uh, wasn't me. It was the snake. We get defensive. We begin to justify what we have done. We begin to justify our reasoning for walking down that path. We do it all the time. We have people, brothers and sisters, who love us dearly, who come to us and say, I see this thing in your life and it worries me. And what's our response? Keep your nose out of it. Mind your own business. Why don't you go get the log out of your own eye before you come talk to me? They didn't mean it that way. And you know they didn't mean it that way. But that's our reaction because we're looking in, not out. I had a friend of mine. I'll tell this story quickly. But I had a friend of mine. I may have told this story before. <clears throat> I had a friend of mine who, he's, he's great. He's a pastor in the Houston area now. Love him to death. Um, we served doing working with youth together for a number of years. But Carrie is very black and white. Carrie doesn't really pull, pull punches at all. And in college, I was, every one of my friends was getting married, and I was obsessed with it. And I wanted to be married, and I wanted to have that relationship that I saw them having. And so one day, Carrie and I were sitting there, and we were praying, and I asked Carrie to pray over this one specific girl that I had my eye on. And Carrie looked at me and said, you know what? He goes, I'll, I'll pray for you on that, that you'll have wisdom. He goes, but this is my question to you. He goes, what if... What if God's plan for you does not involve marriage? Are you going to be okay with that? And my response was, I'm going to punch you. My response is, what are you talking about, you crazy person? I thought we were friends. I was angry. I was hurt. We didn't pray much longer after that. I walked away. But it wasn't a few days that I realized he was right. Because if God were to come to me 
If God were to send an angel in that moment and say, my plan for you is not marriage, I would not have been okay with that. I wouldn't have been okay with it. Because I had made an idol out of marriage. I had made an idol out of those those relationships. And that was where all my focus was. And I didn't want anything or anyone to take it away from me. And I justified it, that it's a good thing. I said, look in Scripture, marriage is there, it's good, it's something that... But I had made it more than it should be. What is it in your life that even if an angel from the Lord were to appear to you and said, this is not my plan for you, that you would not be okay with? That you would begin to justify? That you would begin to defend? It's a sign that we're looking in instead of out. The last one here is that it causes us, and it certainly caused Samson to be prideful. We see Samson go through all of these things. We see him kill the lion. We see him kill these 30 guys. We see him defend himself. We see him take on these 1,000 guys. And especially at the end of that, all we see is his chest growing bigger and his head growing even bigger. He is prideful. And never once is he acknowledging who gave him that power. Never once is he acknowledging who has done this until he gets himself in trouble. We do the same thing. We're, we're like down here when we know that God's giving us the power to pick up the water bottle, but we're boasting that it was all us. We boast in our goodness. We boast in what we've accomplished. We boast in our actions and our works. But friend, since when do good works buy you grace? Since when do good works buy your salvation? They don't. They don't. That is the Lord working through you. And to boast in those things without acknowledging it is pride. And it tears Samson down to the point where God has to remind him. God reminds him through his thirst of who's in control. For all his might, for all his strength, he can't overcome being thirsty and the need for water. And God reminds him that all comes from me. I love it here because if you're like me, most of my life, I need two-by-fours to get the message. But if I look back and I'm honest, what I see over and over again is that God uses subtle reminders to try to get me to go the right way before he brings out the two-by-four. This was God's subtle reminder. And Samson didn't get it. He ignores it. Look at, look at the, beginning of first, the beginning of chapter 16, if you don't believe me. He didn't get the message. He goes on being self-absorbed, selfish, prideful. And eventually God does bring out a two by four. And he reminds him in a, in a deep and meaningful way. But when we become so sick, when we become so self-absorbed, when we become so disabled by our own sin, we don't notice the subtle things. We don't notice the little reminders that he gives us. We just ignore them. This all goes, and yet in view of all of this, we have a call to selflessness 
despite our own desires and our own, the own way that we tend to go and make it all about us, the New Testament and really the whole of Scripture makes it clear that we are to do the opposite. Matthew 16.25 reminds us that Christ calls us to sacrifice. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I was talking with a young man just last night in Barnes & Noble. We were talking about how if you choose to be a disciple of Christ, that it's going to cost you something. And yet we want to walk through life just receiving blessing. We're not to look inward, we're to look outward. It's also a call to humility. Philippians 2, 3-4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, humility gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. We're to put others before ourselves. We're to do so in humility, understanding that we don't have it all together. It's what makes small groups great, is when you share your stories with each other and when you live life with each other, you begin to realize that we're all pretty screwed up. We understand that we each need help. We have to have one another's backs. And so when a brother comes to us in love and says, hey, I'm screwed up, I'm in the same boat as you are, but I see that you're about to fall out of the boat and I want to save you, we can react in humility and say, thank you. Thank you for caring enough about me to come to me rather than lashing out and being defensive. We have a call in the face of a, of a heart that desires self-love. We have a call to sacrifice. We have a call to humility. And we have a call to confession. James in chapter 5 makes it clear that we are to confess our sins to one another. You know what I see in Samson? More than anything is I see a lone ranger. Samson does all of these things on his own. In his own power, so he thinks. And then when he realizes that he's done wrong, he does what? He runs to a cave. And he isolates himself even more. That's what sin does to us, folks. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll try to convince you that you can make it quit whenever you want to make it quit. But all the time, it is dragging you farther and farther away from everything that's meaningful. It is dragging you farther into isolation, farther into darkness, to the point where you don't know what's up and what's down. That's why confession's important. It's important to have someone in your life that you can go to. Another man, another woman in your life, men, men, women, women, that you can go to and say, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me about this? This is a weak point in my life. Will you ask me about it? I'm so, so thankful that God has put men in my life who will call me or text me and say, hey, 
how's this going? Even though they know that I may not want to talk about it right that moment. It's what we need to do for one another. It's what family does for one another. We must sacrifice, we must walk in humility, and we must confess if we are to maintain a healthy life, a healthy walk. So my question to you this morning is this. As we have a time of response, as we have a time where we reflect on the word and what God has said to us, where are you at? Do you identify with Samson? Do you tend to go on impulse? Do you tend to do things out of what feels right? Do you tend to be pretty defensive when people come to you and say, hey, I see this thing? Do you tend to try to justify even to yourself what's going on? Have you forgotten where your power comes from? And by the way, if you want a sign of that, check your prayer life. You want a sign or symptom that you have become so engrossed with yourself that you have forgotten where your power comes from? How much do you pray? Prayerlessness is a sign that you have become dependent on yourself and not dependent upon Him. Do you identify with any of those? Do you identify with all those? Then God calls you today, repent. Turn back to Him. He is waiting. Samson has been a complete bonehead. Okay? He has been dumb. And yet he calls upon the name of the Lord. And what does God show him but grace? Turn to him. He will forgive. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. If you need to come to the front, then I invite you to do that. If you need to come talk to me, I invite you to do that. If you need to wait, know that, know that I'm available during the week. If you, need, if you want to talk about something and you don't feel comfortable doing it up here. This is my encouragement to you, though. Don't wait. Don't think, oh, I can do this later. Don't do what Samson did and say, I'll do this one last thing. I'll wait this one last time. I won't make a decision at this point because I can, I can quit after this. It doesn't work that way. Don't wait. Make a decision now. React now. Respond now to what God's saying to your heart. Let me pray for you, and then we'll have that time to respond. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we look at the life of Samson, and there's some things that we see there, and we marvel at. We're like, wow, what an amazing guy, and he did all this incredible stuff, and we, we marvel at this person that you made and the strength that you gave him. And then there are other things, so many things that we look at, and we go, oh, what could have been? What could have been? Lord, I pray, though, that we don't just look or don't just let me look at this story and think, oh, what could have been and how sad for Samson. But Lord, let me look at my own life. Lord, may I look in the mirror of Scripture and say, wow, that looks a lot like me. That looks a lot like me. Father, forgive me for those things. Forgive me for when I'm defensive. Forgive me for when I'm impulsive. Forgive me for when I'm prideful. 
Lord, help me to bow my heart to the call of sacrifice, the call of humility, and the call of confession. Father, I pray as a church that we would do that. We would desire to be healthy, that we would desire to follow you with all of our hearts. Because you're what's best. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen.